0: It's the feckin' check-in show. Welcome to the feckin' check-in show. It's the feckin' check-in show. Welcome to the feckin' check-in show. It's the feckin' check-in show. Feckin' check-in. Feckin'
1: check-in show. It's the feckin' check-in
0: show. Welcome to the feckin' check-in show. Show.
1: Hello and welcome to episode twenty-one of the feckin' check-in. My name is Trainer. With me, as always, is my co-host Toomey. And this is the podcast where we discuss funny observations, entertainment, culture and kernels of truth. And this week we're even going to do it in the correct order. How about that? Um, Toomey, how are you getting on this afternoon? It's not the afternoon, it's the morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, it's the morning. I feel like it's the afternoon. I've crammed in
0: a lot of things already this morning. I was um, exercising with Liz and then I was thrown at a last minute job to go to the post office uh, at half ten. So I had to get to the post office and back for the FECA check-in to start at 11 and of course I didn't manage that but I was about 10 minutes late uh apologies for that uh <laughs> I've already
1: said that to you <laughs> keeping up with last week's theme of uh, uh punctuality and procrastination
0: yes and the the link between procrastination and being late um yeah so it's it's been quite action-packed for me this morning how are you getting on how's your weekend going so far
1: just want to say, we'll give you a pass this time, because when somebody throws you a late task, um, that's not really procrastination, so we'll let you away with that one. Uh, I am pretty good, yeah. I'm just uh, getting ready to go and practice with my band. I've speed up <laughs> a fraud saying that. You're
0: taking ownership of the band now.
1: That's definitely not my band. The band in which I am singing currently... Uh, getting ready to go and do that i was learning some songs last night when i say learning i mean getting familiar with the structure we're only doing covers i have yet to learn the full lyrics of any of the songs and i'm bringing sheets of paper each time with me um but i'm used to that you know uh like i only ever had our rap songs learned fully off by heart when we had to do a gig um prior to that you'd be looking at sheets of paper all the time so that's kind of where i am but um yeah, that's what i'm up to today
0: there's no shame in having a sheet of paper in front of you as a, as you belt out a rock anthem I, th- I think that's perfectly
1: acceptable yeah the only thing is i feel a bit self-conscious because all obviously all of the other lads have learned their uh, musical pieces and um i haven't learned the <laughs> lyrics properly <laughs>
0: Back to the old procrastination.
1: But, but I, I will, in my defense, I'll say I'm not a musician and this doesn't come easily to me, whereas they are all musicians and it comes quite easily to them to learn a song. Well, maybe it doesn't come easily. Maybe they have to put in hours and hours of practice. Um, and that's probably what they do have to do, actually. But there you go. There we are they're probably
0: more in the rhythm of it than than usual and uh, so this week um i don't know if i should bring this up but do you do you want to share your your first recording experiences with your the new podcast or oh yeah so i did the
1: first episode of feckin metal on wednesday night with our friend kevin daly Um, we spoke for three hours <laughs> wow <laughs> but uh and the whole thing was recorded but an hour and 45 of that is going to be the podcast material, I may edit that down a bit further but um, we basically talked about our own evolution from listening to what music we listened to as children into gradually listening to heavy metal and our musical journey paralleled, you know, both of our journeys paralleled one another, I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, we got into the same kinds of bands at the same kind of times and went to lots of the same gigs and like we were close friends that liked metal and none of our other close friends really did so we have, we have almost had like a, a, a side plot in the group of lads. Secret of, uh,
0: sneaky, sneaky yeah. bond over heavy metal.
1: <laughs> like going to loads of festivals and gigs and all that stuff over the years. So it was a really good chat. I kind of put some structure on it just chronologically um, about pivotal moments that I thought uh, were <clears throat> sorry about pivotal moments that I thought um, were very important milestones along the way and yeah it was a great chat the only thing is i will say that i missed you as a co-host and oh. it was it was you don't have to very, say that <laughs> oh, i did though it was very strange for me to be in charge of the episode if you want and uh, mm. i felt like i didn't let daily talk that much and i felt like i i spoke way too much uh, and i should have let him speak a lot more but I, I think i will get used to that um it I was very be. conscious yeah go ahead. i was con- i was very conscious of making the episode flow and maybe i was too conscious of that
0: yeah i guess with that type of stuff like the structure and the flow when there's somebody else there you're inclined to worry less about that because it's not completely in your hands i would imagine this is like you're probably conscious of how the episode is reflecting your creative control over the whole thing more so
1: in a solo that's it yeah No, but i do think even with all that we got some really good stories in there and i think anyone Could really relate to it. You don't even need to be a heavy metal fan. There's lots of stuff in in there that's very relatable. Um, Just about, you know, growing up and the things you you get up to and pursuing something that you're really interested in. And yeah, uh, that type of stuff. So um, I was quite happy with the first episode and it will be released on uh, the 11th of September, which is a Friday. I'm going to release it on a Friday morning. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Brilliant. Yeah,
0: definitely be listening to that. That's actually next Friday, isn't it?
1: It would be... uh, a week from yesterday, yeah. So Six yeah.
0: days from when the time we record this. And well, the listener listens to it, it will be different time for them.
1: This will be released on Monday, so by the time you hear this, if you're listening to it on Monday, it'll be four, <laughs> Which that, four days. Which you probably won't be. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 11th of September. Okay. <laughs> They'll
0: probably be listening to this after that as well. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that, that's, that's our five minutes of, of drivel, uh, <laughs> customary drivel to start off the FEC and check-in. So as a reminder, this is the podcast based around the FEC acronym, funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. And trainer, will you lead us out for the funny observations
1: for this week? Well, this one was your one too, so I'm hoping you'll lead us out. But what it is is office gossip, and you you would like to talk about that. And I haven't really prepared anything here, but I'm just going to bounce off you. So I want to see what you have to offer here.
0: Yeah, I have a specific thing to, related to office gossip, um, and that is I'm in a, a sub team in my work, and we, we do a, a project, and there's only three permanent members of staff in that sub team. And one of the members of staff I already knew is going to be going on um, maternity leave, um, so they won't be in the role for about eight or nine months, and that's great for them. But our um, staff is a bit under resourced, so that has a big impact on the team because like a third of your team, permanent staff members, is now gone. God, um, they'll have a replacement in time, but that, there's always delays with getting the replacement in place. Anyway, that's the the backstory. So the second the the news or the gossip that I heard out heard out <laughs> uh, <laughs> found out <laughs> found out yeah <laughs> yes thank you uh was that the other member of my team is also leaving on parental leave but i guess the awesome osif- the office gossip part of it is um so this person applied for a parental leave and then went on holidays and i was by on holidays and i didn't really hear about it and the first time i heard about it was in the office from somebody not on my team who said I'll give a fake name here. She said, what are you going to do now that Mary's going? (laughs) And it was just Mm. like the way she said it. It was just inappropriate. I didn't want to find out from her. I would have preferred for the person who was leaving to come back from holidays. And I was like put on the spot. Like, what are you going to do? It's almost like laughing at me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. She didn't mean to laugh at me, but...
1: Sounds like she was licking her lips at this, the prospect of finding out what you were going to do. <laughs> yeah. And I
0: was a complete dodo. I was like, what? She's she's leaving?
1: She's pregnant? Uh, or whatever. Yeah. And
0: so I asked a few questions about it and she was like, she filled me in. And then it turned out that everybody in the office knew, apart from me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I said it to someone else and they were going, yeah, I knew that, yeah.
2: And it's like, is, yeah. is
0: anybody going to tell me this shit? So I guess I don't really involve myself in office gossip, but it it really spreads like wildfire, this t- these types of things.
1: Yeah, um, I, I know what you mean. And people, like I think offices thrive on this, especially kind of small teams or teams within teams. Um, sometimes it's the only thing you have in common with people is uh, news about other people. <laughs> because, yeah. like, let's face it, in jobs, you're thrown into uh, a situation with people that you wouldn't necessarily have chosen to be sitting beside every single day, but you are because you do the same work. Um, I, I found when I was in... Uh, I used to work in, in the head office of my old jo- or my current job, and um, there was a lot of office gossip that used to go completely, I was completely oblivious to, it used to like sail right over my head, and I think it was because I was, you know, in a long-term relationship at the time, a lot of it was to do with uh, who was having sex with whom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice use of, use
1: of whom there. Or who hooked up with the Christmas party, or who had sex in the toilets, or things like that, and uh, like... I would hear maybe months later about all of this stuff. And I would realise it had been the talk of the town. And I think I just didn't involve myself in that because when that stuff was going on on the nights out, I wouldn't be present for it, you know what I mean? Like I I wouldn't I wouldn't have been chasing anything in particular. I would just have been sitting there happy to have a few pints and talk to whoever. Um but yeah, like and then and then you then I, I kinda of realised, Oh, Jesus, every single person in the entire office knows about this and i've been in the same room with these two people and i didn't realize it. and then you think back and you're like ah that shit makes loads of sense now but um yeah offices i find thrive on that shit and the, even the way you said that person approached she's like what are you gonna do it's like <laughs> let's get down to the fucking nitty gritty shit here
0: yeah and it's like stuff that i don't want to hear about like i don't thrive on office gossip and this is something that i felt that the person who was involved who was the gossipy if you will. Uh, Or the the, uh, protagonist (laughs) in the gossip, I would have much preferred to wait a week or two for her to tell me in the way that he or she wanted to tell me. So I don't know if that's a funny observation. I just thought it was peculiar the way it came out. And I know lots of people can relate to office gossip in hearing things that you don't want to really hear.
1: Yeah, sometimes you're worse off having heard it as well. Like, there are certain times when I've been told things and I wish I wish I was still living in my oblivious little bubble um, and didn't know because you then find find yourself having to consider all sorts of shit that you don't want to consider. You just want to get on with your life and get on with your job. Um, and I think some people like, enjoy putting you in that position where they know you don't know the gossip, but then they tell you and then they sit back with their arms folded or maybe have some popcorn <laughs> and see how you react. <laughs> they get off on it. It's like, no. <laughs> now you're not so fucking relaxed are you <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i've given you information that's going to change the way you think about somebody else You're going to watch that information process within you
1: one thing i will say is that uh, i find working in a large company that so many people have so many different agendas and sometimes rivalries and things can go back 30 or 40 years like that's how long some people have been working in the place i work and i find that uh people will often try to warn you in advance about somebody like oh that project manager is a fucking old bitch or you know your (laughs) man's (laughs) an arsehole or whatever and i try to just ignore it because you never know what kind of agenda the person is approaching it with um they might have had a personal vendetta with that person in 1990 (laughs) yeah yeah and you're like and then that's just followed like a reputation can follow somebody around based on shit like that. So I do try to ignore it and try to just react to the person as as I find them. Because if you're going to consider all of the gossip and all of the rivalries from 1990, you'd never be able to make your own mind up about anything. So I think the best thing you can do is, even when you do have the information, just try to ignore it and just see how that person acts to you. And then that's the only way you can fucking uh, like exist, I think, in a job.
0: That's that's the, the, uh, the best approach. Because if somebody tells you gossip about, let's say, a manager... And it's really kind of vindictive gossip. You, it's really hard to get that out of your head. And then the next time you meet the manager, like well, for me anyway, I almost feel guilty as if I've done something or there's something not quite right in the relationship now between me and the manager. Like it's changed because of the information that I've heard.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, And the other thing is, like, if you ever had a really good relationship with somebody in work yourself. So on a personal level, consistently over like a couple of years, you've had a really good Relationship, but then somebody else has, uh, like you were saying, somebody else has a really bad relationship with them, and it's really hard then to make sense of that in your head because you think in your in your head this person is great, oh they're like fantastic, and then somebody else is telling you stuff, yeah, but, but you've never seen any of that stuff, yeah, no, they I, murdered
1: I, six children <laughs> in 1992, yeah, <laughs> it was on the news.
0: Where six children? Uh, and it's like, how do you But they never murdered,
1: they've never murdered me
0: Yeah <laughs> Donald Trump was sound to me He's, he's always nice to me
1: uh, but it, I think it's the only way you can approach it though Because there's just so much like, Murdering of children that's taken place That uh, if you were to consider it all
0: <laughs> You can only judge your relationship With anybody on your own experiences Doesn't matter what they've done <laughs> I know, there, no. there obviously are
1: some exceptions
0: we're, we're being facetious here anyway okay. so, so will we wrap up that for the funny observation I'm not sure how funny it was <laughs>
1: And let's move on to the entertainment section of the podcast. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about concerts, specifically socially distanced concerts.
0: I saw in the newspaper, newspaper, (laughs) that uh, there's going to be socially socially distanced concerts. And I have mixed feelings about that. Um, And I'll go straight into that point now. I've mixed feelings about it because when I go to a concert, I like their being a crowd there, but I'm also comp- really irritated by the other people in the crowd being there. So for me, a socially distanced <laughs> uh, concert might actually be fine. Like I have a bit of space, I have like two meters around me each way, there's nobody rubbing into my shoulders or or having an really enjoyable moment at a concert. In, in your face and really oh, <laughs> showing off that they know the, the lyrics of the song. <laughs> and, like it's usually a couple like they they really get into it. and like, this is our moment. Um, but like they're standing right in front of you on their on their chair and they're blocking your view and enjoyment of the concert. They get too into it, in other words. OK,
1: you have said a few things there that I'd <laughs> like to <laughs> I, I,
0: to just, I on. just threw it all out there like verbal diarrhea.
1: <laughs> Firstly, uh, do I sense a little bit of begrudgery? <laughs> Does this go to a specific concert you were at recently, or is it just in general?
0: Yes. Uh, so just to explain it, so uh, Elton John uh, last I year. I knew
1: it. I knew it was going to be Elton John. Go on.
0: <laughs> so this Elton John, as you know, has a, a mix of songs, and some of them are more down tempo. Some of them are kind of emotional, and. A lot of the audience at that concert were sitting down and enjoying the music. But there was this couple right in front of me and Liz, and they were obviously very drunk and they were having a great time. I don't resent that, but I do resent uh, the- You do? <laughs> I was, was the best concert, uh, one of the best concerts I was ever at because the quality of the music was amazing and his voice was amazing and the song, the, the amount of hits were amazing as well. But um, this too, and they were singing, you know that song, uh, Tiny Dancer? I do. And you know the way that builds up slowly for like five, like three or four minutes before the main chorus comes in.
1: Yeah. Hold me
0: closer, etc. They were standing up right at that moment, ruining it. So you're there sitting, you're waiting for the crescendo of the song. And then these two uh, louts just ruin it. And it's just like, I can't enjoy the song now because of you, you two. Um, so (laughs) yeah, exactly. And this was a sitting down affair where most people were sitting down and they had to stand up. And then once they were up, that's the worst. Once once they get up, they're not going to sit down again. They get into their rhythm and and you kind of think to your head, okay, they'll burn off now. They'll burn off. But then they're up for the next six songs. Um, So so that type of thing really pissed me off, hence. I wonder would socially distanced concerts actually be better for the likes of me? He was a grumpy old fart.
1: (laughs) Yes. And the second thing you you mentioned was sitting. So uh, um, you've obviously elaborated on it there. So I I rarely sit at a concert, unless you have to. Like, unless it was... um or unless it's going to be hugely beneficial for me to sit for example roger waters in uh, the tree arena where it's a hugely visual show and there's lots of lights and stuff and you want to be able to take all of that in but by choice i would never sit at the concert really um i because of such people like that in the crowd i remember being at morrissey in the national stadium it was years ago 2009 and uh, there was a similar type of thing was happening um we were sitting and he was, Morrissey was singing whatever, and there was this prick in front of us who just started standing up about only about 20, 25 minutes into the show. And every song he was belting it out and he was getting in everybody's way. And nobody else had, was quite at the point where they were standing yet. Like maybe towards the end of the show it would have happened naturally, but this guy was, he was doing it way too soon. And uh, at one point I just shouted, I just went, Set the fuck down! <laughs> And everybody around me Just like Gave me a round of applause And was like (laughs) Yeah (laughs) (laughs) And he did for a while In fairness He got back up though I think he 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 didn't have His inhibitions were lowered Later on Then again They provoke such rage These people don't they Yeah it was like A a moment of (laughs) road rage But it was at a concert I find actually I get quite um, I can get a bit Road ragey at concerts Sometimes I think it's like the the mob mentality takes over or something like you lose your like Darren brown would say you lose your individuality in a crowd and you become part of the mob because i've definitely like had a go at people before for things like that uh, <laughs> for dancing in a certain way <laughs> no there was another time we were at a acdc in Punchestown, and um there was like it was a fairly relatively straightforward um dublin bus situation where you had to queue for the bus to get back to do Dublin, right, or w- whatever, yeah. So you just had the queue for a bus at the end of the concert, and it was going to be a long queue, and you're going to be waiting there for a while. which was tough shit, and there was this couple who were just giving out, and they were like, "This is a disgrace. This is we have the we have the queue up here. This is an absolute disgrace. It's terribly organized." And they were just giving out like a pair of pricks Like for ages really loud to anyone with an earshot And I just went over and I was like It's fucking straightforward. You just have to stand here and queue Everyone has to fucking queue Everybody's in the same boat Yes we're going to have to wait It's not a disgrace What has been disgraced? Who, who, who is disgracing whom to use whom again? And they just looked at me and they were like uh, And I was like It's not Just f- shut up Yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I can relate to you in, in some ways, but I, I, that's precisely why I would avoid sitting at a concert, because if there are a pair of pricks in front of you, you can just move.
0: Yeah, but despite all that, I'm sensing the fact, from what you said earlier, that you are more of a person that does enjoy the crowds at concerts. Is oh, yeah, correct? definitely,
1: definitely. Uh, so I'm one of those pricks who does sing along Uh But I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't be standing, I wouldn't, I hope to think that I wouldn't be standing up annoying people when I was doing it. Um, But I definitely liked it get really into it that completely sing along like scream my head off and I like there being a crowd around me I like the whole the feeling of being in unison with people who are enjoying the same thing as you and sometimes you make like a concert buddy like a person right beside you who happens to be as into it as you are at the same time um and I, I, I enjoy all that type of stuff I don't enjoy people acting the prick like but uh for the most part like during the actual show people standing around me everybody being in the same moment at the same time I find seating is um Kind of more formal. I feel like I'm at a lecture or something. Like, you know, I don't want to sit there while somebody lectures me musically <laughs> about something. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, w- with the with standing, you have the freedom to go for a piss or go for a pint. Or maybe you can do that with sitting as well, but I find sometimes you're walking... Uh, it's, it's more complex to get out of your seats and go and find the toilet or go get a pint um, than it is if you're just free, standing, do whatever you want. Then you've got the whole thing of people in the wrong seats. That always fucking happens, and... You're having to walk by twenty people like you're in the cinema if you want to get up and all that shit. So no, I, I actually quite I hate sitting at concerts. Um, so it's so socially distanced concerts. Uh, would would that would kind of remove a lot of that actually from what the pictures I've seen online? What what have you seen or read about it online? Uh, not too much
0: to be honest. <laughs> Just the the kind of general idea of it and how I'd imagine it is that you're you're kind of you have your own people you go to the concert with and then everybody else would be i don't know a meter or two meters apart i feel you'd have more kind of privacy in your own bubble i would i don't know it's just i don't like talking too much when there's somebody i don't know beside me and in front of me and behind me but if the, i was there kind of with my own gang i might just loosen up a bit more
1: well i, I saw a picture online of a, a socially distanced outside show where people were on their own individual raised metal platforms and these were kept there you know, the required social distance away from one another. So you kind of walked up onto this raised metal platform. There were four chairs um, and you sat there with it like enclosed in your own little section. Uh, But to me, it looked fucking bizarre. Somebody put it up on, on WhatsApp in our group actually. And I made a joke saying it looks like a Pink Floyd album cover because there's a famous album cover with all the beds on the beach. Um, And that's kind of what it looked like. Uh, I was like that to me, that doesn't look like a concert. That looks like, um, I don't know, some kind of weird, Agricultural seminar or something <laughs> 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 It's like some, some Artwork,
0: or some piece of art In a nightclub or something, people uh, up on podiums uh, so.
1: Yeah, it, that doesn't like, that's not That that wouldn't entice me To go to a gig, but on the flip side Like I have seen things like bands In February McGee's advertising a, a socially distanced show, but they're basically Putting a meal in Into it and saying like it's 40 quid per table You'll get food and you know You can come as a group of four And you'll have to sit separately with one another like it could be a, a decent night out in in the the times we're living in at the moment where there's not that much to do i i might consider it but for for the long term or even the medium term like it, it takes away a lot of what i love about concerts kind of spontaneity freedom freedom to roam uh just that type of shit like um turning around to the person next to you and just going singing along to the song or whatever um and all that type of shit so like to me it would it would ruin a lot of that and i don't i don't know how willing i would be to involve myself in any of that type of stuff
0: yeah and a final point i would make about previous concerts is like i've really enjoyed the the concerts where i've been standing where it's um where it's some some artist where i know everybody in the crowd is really into it and has a similar level of knowledge of the artist that i have it's it's kind of i don't know the bigger concerts in like croke park or whatever there's just you tend to get a lot of people who aren't really as into the music um and and you get a lot of just people who are there for the occasion and not really listening to the music so so that does yeah. it. it was slain like my, slain, yes. slain
1: it's terrible for that i was at guns and roses of slain a few years ago and uh there was actually there were actually people standing with their back to the stage for the entire show um God. <laughs> and like i know i know people go along to these things because it's an event but it costs a hundred euro as well like so you know it's like they weren't showing any interest whatsoever in the music that that is kind of that bothers me quite a lot but um the thing with that is some acts are so large like guns and roses like that they can't play anywhere smaller than that so if you want to go and see them you have to endure The uh, back-turning people. (laughs) Yeah, but I I find it. I find it kind of puts me off a bit. I'm just like, fuck you. Enjoy
0: it. (laughs) Enjoy it. Yeah, appreciate it. You, you insult, etc. So there we go for socially distanced concerts. Yes. (laughs) Interlude.
1: Okay, let's move on to uh, culture. So, and this week we're going to talk about coronavirus-related things. We haven't spoken about that in a while, so why not? Uh, and that's the culture of masks. And masks. And of course, means face coverings, not, not Halloween masks.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and we are being uh, cautious not to make this into a, a social or political type of rant about people who wear masks and people who don't and the implications of this and society and all that. I just wanted to bring up a couple of observations about masks and how, how it's a new way of life. Um, first of all, just a question for you. Quick question. What type of masks are you using?
1: So we were issued three reusable uh, like fabric masks from our job and they posted them. Out to was a while back when the <laughs> mask thing was kicking off really and that's those are the ones that I've been using. Um, so it's a blue blue color light blue sky blue if you will um, yes, i have them <laughs> too yes goes over my face uh, it, <laughs> 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 good description there <laughs> but Thanks like it's, it's quite long so it covers like from the top of the nose down to under the chin and um, so yeah that, that kind of mask
0: and are these disposable masks or washable masks
1: no they're washable
0: washable okay because my observation is about uh, disposable masks um, because i i was sort of advised early on in the mask uh, times that disposable ones are a bit better because you, you're supposed to kind of use them once or twice and then throw them out, and that's kind of better in general, um, unless you wash them quite frequently. But my my issue with the disposable masks that I'm supposed to use once is that I use them all about ten times at yeah. minimum. I use them twenty times. I don't. I don't like. You're not going to put on a mask and then go to the shops and then throw out the mask. Like it just seems like a complete waste. So what I, what ends up happening is I'm I'm using one mask. I'm hoarding it and I put it in my jacket and then after a while I go, oh, will I, will I use that one again? And I might use it. But then the next time I go, okay, time for a new mask. And then I put on the new mask and go to the shops and then put that in the jacket po- pocket. And then after yeah. a while, I've like five masks in my jacket. I don't know which one is new, which one is old. And I just have masks around my house <laughs> and I'm not sure like what's the right way to go here. Uh, yeah it's just yeah it's a weird way of life and even in the car there's there's just masks everywhere you just end up throwing them everywhere and you never know i don't have a clear idea in my head of what's the right time to try a mask
1: really if you're using a disposable mask you're supposed to use it once and throw it out that's the that's what people are saying um that's the that's the advice as far as I know. But that, to me, yeah, that's that's insane. Like, but then if you're not doing that, are you just doing it completely wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and spreading the coronavirus every day to myself,
0: putting back yeah. on my corona mask.
1: <laughs> well, like I have washable ones. You're supposed to wash them at sixty degrees uh, to kill all the germs, right? And um, to me, like I use them loads of times without washing them. Like, but uh, if if I were adhering to the advice that's been issued by the government. If I went over to Centra to buy a chicken fillet roll, I would come back home and I would put on a sixty-degree wash and throw my mask into it. I don't have any other clothing that I need to wash wash at sixty degrees, um, and that will shrink a lot of clothes as well. It's it's a, essentially a boil wash. Also, a boil wash takes about two and a half hours to complete, uh, and is very heavy on electricity usage, um, and is like probably the least economical type of wash based on energy usage that you can possibly do so what we're being advised is and i can't just put on a 60 degree wash for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes the the, the, the um the option doesn't exist on my washing machine so if you're putting it on for 60 it's two and a half hours of tough shit sometimes i throw in like dirty towels at that or something like that if they need a like a boil wash but like it's rare that i would use it so we're being advised every time we leave the house with our disposable or our non-disposable um like a permanent mask or washable mask to come home and do a fucking two and a half hour boil wash. (laughs) And that's just not feasible either. Like it's it's impossible. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? I know. And And then you're wondering like the outside of the mask could potentially have germs on it because I've been out wearing it before. And if I don't, come home and do a two and a half hour boil wash potentially i'm uh, going out and putting people at risk by wearing this out but at the same time is it still better than not wearing a mask at all um there should be degrees of like um degrees of risk. efficacy uh, oh yeah should be like issued by the government as well it's like yeah. not ours doing a boil wash here's your chances of spreading the virus yeah use a disposable
0: mask 17 times yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's really hard to know. I wonder what like washable masks seems to be a more feasible long term solution because or else throwing out masks every time. But I just I don't see myself doing that. So I think washable is the way to go. But I think washable, um, I think you need a large quantity of washable ones because you're not going to be able to put on frequent washes. Yeah, you'd have to have about 60 of them, I'd say. 60 washable. <laughs> so in a way, you use the washable ones like a disposable one. And then when it's time to put on a wash, you put on like 10
1: masks. <laughs> yeah, or, or, yeah, like thinking about every time you leave the house and then having to build up enough to make it worthwhile to do the wash. It's it's insane. Have you noticed that masks have now become a new type of litter? I'm seeing fucking masks all over the place, on the streets, yeah. uh, in the canal, uh, fucking everywhere. Like.
0: Yeah, so, Absolutely. If absolutely. If they,
1: They've taken over from plastic bags which obviously you don't see anymore because people reuse plastic bags now and have been for a long time since they introduced a 22 cent tax or 15 cent as it was originally uh, on plastic bags which was really effective but um nice side point there i wonder are they gonna they're probably gonna put a fucking tax on masks now well they might have to did you ever see a mask at the bus stop or something
0: it's the most disgusting thing it is the, it's horrible looking. it's horrible <laughs> it's worse than a used
1: goddamn. <laughs> it's a grubby dirty fucking smudgy
0: Infected coronavirus, uh, mouth breeders <laughs> breathing into it, it's, it's, and they're everywhere. So, you know, yeah. what I predict in six weeks to, to two months, there's going to be an expose of this in the Irish independent front page environmental crisis due to masks or something, and then it'll be a big scandal.
1: Okay, I look forward to that. Uh, I look forward to a mask expert being slaughtered by Vincent Brown or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, you, you fucking idiot? <laughs> yeah. You're fool. What, kind of, what kind of nonsense and claptrap is this? Yeah. One other
0: thing I wanted to bring up, up about masks uh, was I had my wedding coming up in uh, just under six weeks. And uh, for a large parts of the day will ha- i'll have to wear masks and all the guests will have to wear masks so it's getting to a stage now where we'll be having all these formal events and big events and walking around th-
1: like sub-zero
0: yeah but we have to think like what what mask should i get a designer mask well i i will because it's it's i'm the uh, groom i'm the, the celebrity for the day um but i wonder will that become the norm that we have to get sort of fancy masks i'm actually impressed when i see somebody with like a funny mask or like something a little bit different
1: yeah, their yeah, mask. yeah 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 there's there's room for individuality uh in there as well i suppose because it's your wedding you like you probably will be taking photos with the masks on for the crack and to document <laughs> this time and all that so maybe it might be worthwhile getting some kind of personalized mask where do you even get such a thing i'm sure there's lots of places you obviously can get them but
0: yeah, I think you get them online. Uh, yeah, we'll do lots of uh, set piece humour, like the like a, a groom and bride kiss in the masks. Oh that, yes, that type of thing. At first, this is it's all
1: d- going to be hilarious in ten years' time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it will be documented, and there'll be other people like like doing all kinds of stuff with the mask and commenting on wearing a mask throughout the day. Uh, But the general guidance is the way into the church, the way into the wedding, you have to wear your mask. But once you're down seated, obviously, you don't have to to wear wear the mask and just lift it up while you're eating your food.
1: This is all bizarre. Like, so why is it on the way into the church you have to wear it? And when you're in there, which is surely the worst place to spread the germs and to receive germs from other people, you're allowed to take it off. Excuse me. Let me
0: clarify. I think in the church you have to wear your mask at all times. Oh, with the dinner uh, on your way from your table to the toilets you have to wear you have to put your mask on you're allowed to take your mask off at the table
1: so just in case you infect anybody on the journey between your table and the toilets yeah so i don't know a lot of it doesn't make any sense like you, you can go into a pub as well and you know you have to have your meal that's another conversation for another day but um there's nobody nobody is expecting you to wear a mask at all in a pub um where you're having food and pints and using the toilet and it's just it's a lot of it is really contradictory i find like um mm. it's it's confusing to say the least um people don't know what to be doing half the time i think
0: yeah and at a wedding at some point you're gonna mingle with somebody so like it's almost is like a, is that a threat <laughs> You can't avoid them for the whole day, no, mo- no matter how much you'd like to <laughs> just sit in the corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm wondering, like uh, something like a wedding where you're there for the whole day, is it better just to say fuck it? Just, just yeah. take, everyone take off their masks, burn your like, masks.
1: Like that scene in The Witches where they all take off their uh, masks and turn into horrible. Anyway, um,
0: nice. Uh,
1: do, you know, do you know the scene I'm talking about?
0: I haven't seen that, that movie in so
1: long. It's never on the TV. It's on Netflix now. Oh, is it? If you'd like to watch it. Well, I would, uh, yes. Yes, it's good. It's a good film, actually, I think. That dates really well. But probably the best Roald Dahl adaptation, in my opinion, that I've seen. Uh, I find a lot of his stuff doesn't translate too well.
0: That's an interesting comment. Let me follow up with a quick question on that. Uh, what other uh, Roald Dahl movies were you less impressed with? Because I can only think of uh,
1: that one, The Witches. Um, uh, BFG Willy, was one. B- BFG, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory... I, was that Roald Yeah. Was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what else did he do? Danny the Champion of the World starring Jeremy Irons. Um, that's one of my <laughs> favourite books of all time, but it didn't translate too well. Uh, what else? Um, BFG. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the BFG. But Matilda was an absolute abortion of a film. I, I Oh my God, it was like so badly done. And people love that film. They They rave about it to this day. But like there's a scene in it like so I, have you read the book matilda?
0: Uh, I have read the book matilda and I know the movie it stars your one from miracle on 34th street if i Yeah
1: and, and miss Doubtfire. Though, yeah. yeah um so in the book she, like matilda has to train herself to be able to move a pencil and it takes a lot of concentration and it takes a lot of time and she realizes after a long period of time using mind over matter, that she's able to move a stationary object with the power of her mind, right? Yeah. Um, And yes, it's a children's book, but it's it's a very well-written children's book. And uh, in the film, she just has fucking carrots and food and shite dancing all over the room in this little (laughs) fucking flimsy musical type of scene. It's like, it just pisses all over the book to the point where it's like just... I don't know, I, I, I hated it as a child I'm talking about, it. not as an adult, as a child, I, I was disgusted when I came out of the cinema. I was like, that's, it's like um, the scene in Misery, is like, she didn't get out of the cock a car! It's, it, it's just, it was poor adaptation, I thought, in my mind.
0: bringing <laughs> up stuff from the past here. Uh, yeah, I didn't know you were such a Roald Dahl, uh kind of advocate and fan.
1: I... Uh, Loved him as a child. Uh, He's my favourite author. Um, and I I think his books are excellent and so different from one another. So creative. Um, I was only talking to John about this recently, actually. We were talking about Afterlife, the Ricky Gervais show, and I said I thought it was really derivative as his from his sorry it was really derivative of his other work and not as good as them so he was like plagiarizing himself and doing it badly and then John brought up the point saying can you name somebody who has done repeated fictional works um where they're not plagiarizing themselves where they don't have a specific style and I said Roald (laughs) Dahl he had that one ready (laughs) I didn't actually have it ready I had to think about it on the spot and it was a very tough question Ah. And you know what, John? Like, it's very difficult to try and to win an <laughs> argument against him, um, or I was, even just even have a, a, a point as valid as him. So um, it's a really specific
0: like, one to, to take out. Really, really good one. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I was like, all of his books are completely different from one another. Um, the only thing that you could say that there's a running theme through them is maybe surrealness. But then he has stuff like um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's nothing really... Okay, there's Oompa Loompas in it, right? Let's forget about that one. Um But, like, there, there's, a, there's a surreal element running through them all, but they're all completely different and very creative. Um, so, yeah, there you go. He's John. excellent. <laughs> How did, did John accept
0: that argument, just out of interest?
1: I think so, but we'd had about seven or eight points at this point, so uh, I can't really... I don't know. Yeah, he might have he accepted
0: it. I think at that point... It's really hard to accept anything that anybody says. Uh, we had our, a little incident ourselves last week after recording <laughs> of the feckin' check-in up till about three o'clock, or, or arguing about financial advice, <laughs> unsolicited financial advice. Yeah, uh, yeah. I Full disclosure, I was pontificating uh, and I, uh, I'm glad we had that conversation. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I was also doing the whole like fucking, you know, I was pontificating about your pontification.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think I think it is a good general rule not to be, like, t- giving people unsolicited financial advice because finances are a personal thing for people. Mm. Personal thing, there, there, there was only to say four people. Personal thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, <right>. redundancy. <laughs> yeah, redundancy. My ATM so, machine. <laughs>
0: so even though it was just a, a silly drunken thing, I am going to try and focus on that consciously i've tried to improve on it the last couple of years uh but i think i need to do a bit more w- work just a, a quick quick side point on that uh mansplaining we've discussed over the previous years that we didn't like the phrase and it was kind of yeah inaccurate but yeah i'm wondering is it partly accurate because if i find out new information about something i have a compulsion to want to tell somebody about it even if they've they've no interest in it
1: uh, and yeah i've I think- got that from other people Without trying to mansplain. I think mansplaining is uh, where you talk down to women rather than just everyone. So it? it's like, yeah, well, it's, it's a woman. It's a man going, I'll explain this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Or, yeah. So that's women originated the phrase mansplaining, which is why it has the word man in it. As far as I know, this is the most mansplaining thing anyone's ever done. Um, <laughs> but just, <laughs> just a very quick one on that. Like, what is what happens when a man
0: consistently likes to explain things to other people it doesn't matter about the gender he's explaining it to well then he's just a jackass
1: (laughs) right so i'm a jackass (laughs) sorry you you left me an open goal um when a man consistently likes to explain things if if, if other people aren't interested well then yeah maybe he should have a, a cold hard look in the mirror um but if they're interested that's fine
0: yeah okay fair enough i think it's it's fine and i think most people who do it Sense that the audience is interested, but I I do think there are uh, a lot of men who like to share information about new things. Mm. I don't know. I'm sure women do it as well. Anyway, I don't want to go down this route. (laughs) Women, women.
1: what would they know
0: <laughs> no women do it just as much but i think when a man does it now it's marked as as mansplaining
1: yeah i i, I was i always tucked it up as more women being pissed off that men think they know more about a thing than the the women do like so a man trying to explain pregnancy or something like that's a classic example or that type of stuff like or like a man trying to explain a menstrual cycle or something like that yeah um, and you've got to be careful
0: about that because there's there's more of a, a lived experience have you heard that phrase i have uh so if you're talking about a topic, let's say if I talk about uh um the oppression of black people in America, and mm. I'm I'm a privileged white person, like my opinion now seems to have less value than somebody who has a lived experience of being a black person in america and having no definitely yeah definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i think that's the thing to be aware of uh i don't know I, am i lecturing you i don't know what's going on <laughs>
1: i have no idea what's going on here to be honest just in this segment <laughs>
0: Gone completely off topic anyway masks. Yeah, masks, masks yeah culture basically let's cut that uh, there and we'll see you in just a moment for the kernel of truth
1: Alright, so this is The Kernel of Truth, which is a—it's uh, from an article that I was reading there a while back. Let me pull up the name of the article itself. Fuck, I've lost it. Hold on a second. Um, oh, shit. Uh, hold on a second. I'm actually going to have to pull this up. Can That's
0: cut this. okay. No, leave it in. We want to have a more human element, as uh, Andrew Mangan from the Ars Blog uh, podcast on the Noah's Ark episode uh, six advocated for.
1: Just, just leave it in. Yeah. Okay. So this is. Uh, uh Article about the philosopher Schopenhauer, and it's called "Happiness is a State of Semi Satisfaction." that's by David Bathur Woods, um, and I found it online. It was really interesting. Brilliant article, yeah. If you want to look that up, but it's basically talking about um, the philosopher Schopenhauer and how he philosophises that happiness is something that is, is It's kind of just something that's perpetually out of reach. Uh, he wasn't saying that it doesn't exist, but. He says it's a state a state of semi satisfaction. He talks about how even when you have the thing that you want and that you built up all of your hopes to get, once you have that, then what you hope to get in the future changes because you have the thing that you that previously seemed unattainable, and then your your focus shifts onto a new thing. And this is something that I've definitely noticed in my own life. So uh, I'll just read a couple of small passages from the article. So he's saying. Um, so it says, Schopenhauer doesn't deny that happiness exists. He does, however, think that we are generally mistaken about what happiness is. According to him, happiness is no more than the absence of a pain and suffering, the moment of relief occasionally felt between the fulfillment of one desire and the pursuit of the next. For example, imagine the satisfaction of buying your first home. What makes us happy here, Schopenhauer would say, is not the positive state of being a homeowner, but the negative state of relief from the worries that come with not owning your own home, as well as relief from the notoriously stressful process of buying property itself. This hap- happiness, Schopenhauer would be quick to point out is likely to be short-lived as a host of new worries and stresses emerge such as paying down the mortgage or dealing with the bathroom. Um, and and uh, I, I think that's brilliant because when you're younger and you're starting out in your job, let's say your first job outside of college, you're on epoxy salary, let's say, and you're on X amount of, I, like I'll, I'll just be open, I was on like, I think when I started in, um what was I on? I, was, I started in, a debt collection job. It's on like 20 grand or something like that. And I, I was still, I was still able to afford an apartment with my you know girlfriend at the time. And we, we you know, it was fine and we could live on it. But like, you're like, if only, a, and, but and you hear about somebody else in the office, who's a team leader and is on 25 grand and you're like, Oh, I'd love to be on 25 grand. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you think your yeah. whole world is going to change. Like if you have an extra five grand and then like when you finally get, you know, a better job in a new company and you're on a much better salary, um, you go for a promotion because you're like, but if I could get another 10 grand on top of this now, I'd really, I'd really arrive now. Uh, Like my whole life would just be be set up so much better. But what happens then is you get used to that salary. It just becomes the norm. Um, You get used to an amount coming into your account that's different to what it used to be. But then what you want to buy changes, the things that you would like to uh, purchase and are all of a sudden available to you. change as well so like uh, there's another part from the article he says if we're lucky enough to satisfy our basic needs such as hunger and thirst then in order to escape boredom we develop new needs for luxury items such as alcohol tobacco or fashionable clothing at no point Schopenhauer says do we arrive at a final lasting satisfaction hence one of his well-known lines life swings back and forth like a pendulum between pain and boredom
0: it's really it's really interesting i can really relate to that um and the the word that I was thinking of when, when reading that and thinking about my own life and the lives of people around me, uh, was milestoneing. I don't know if that's a phrase, <laughs> but
1: I know what you mean, though. Yeah,
0: when people get addicted to milestones, when I, when I, um, when I got, when I travel abroad, uh, when I go to college, uh, when I get a girlfriend, uh, when I get engaged, when I get married, when I'll have. Buy a house when I'll have kids. When my kids get communion, it's like yeah. when when I do this, I'll be happy. It's like yeah. a constant, constant thing. Like if you if you're striving for. It. And then in terms of the podcast, it was like if I set it up a podcast, if we knew how to record it well, if if it was a good structure, if I interviewed Andrew Mangan, if yeah. I interviewed Andreas Antonopoulos, yeah, <laughs> if I got a uh, eighty downloads, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. If we, we had know. a thousand Twitter fo- Twitter followers, <laughs> yeah. That was a yeah. legitimate milestone for you. You really wanted to get yeah, that. I thousand. pushed it. I thought, yeah, I
0: thought this, yeah, get a thousand, and then, and then uh, they'll retweet everything we say, and then every will look like a legitimate podcast. Uh, yeah, and I, I had the same thing in my uh, my research career. If I publish a paper, if I publish five papers, if I publish ten papers, mm. and so on, like it's just like, and then uh, you you kind of realize after a while from from milestoneing, if I can use that phrase, yeah, um, is that you're. You just, as you said, you're, you just adapt, you habituate to the the thing that you've achieved or the level that you've reached. And it no longer makes you happy anymore being at that
1: level. Exactly. So just, yes, exactly. And, and you want to do new things as well then. like So like even with the feckin' check-in podcast, we're like, let's set up our own individual podcast. <laughs> 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 and, and then we'll I, be happy. <laughs> this is something I've written down. I re re-read that article there this morning. And I've written this myself. I said, eventually, ambition displaces contentment. So you're going to be content for a short while, but then you become more ambitious if you're if you're in any way an ambitious person. So you get that promotion and you're content for a while and then two years down the line, your ambition displaces that contentment and you want to get another thing and another thing. And, and I think like what you've said, if you're constantly chasing those milestones, firstly, you'll never be happy if only for a very, very short while. And secondly, uh What's the secondly? I don't know what the secondly is. <laughs> but, sorry, firstly you'll never be happy. And secondly, there'll be an infinite number of additional milestones until you die, basically. Because there's always something else you could have, or it's something that you can trick yourself into thinking will make your life better.
0: Yeah. And I think the the way Schopenhauer talks about it is like that it's almost like a human condition that we're doomed to feel like that. So we get the temporary relief when we reach that next level, but then we're doomed. And that I think his overall point was was kind of like human beings are are not going to be happy because of this condition that we have, so yeah. we're either in pain or boredom, and then we, or a temporary relief, <laughs> but there's no such thing as as happiness. Yeah, and it here, here's another
1: happens. here's another beautiful quote, uh, and I'll, I'll stop lecturing people now after this. <laughs> uh, there's just one bit just links into what you're saying there. So he says, for example, we tend not to notice all the things that are going well for us, but instead we focus on the bad things, or as Schopenhauer puts it. Uh, with his keen eye for an analogy, we do not feel the health of our entire body, but only the small place where the shoe pinches. I thought yeah. that was fucking brilliant.
0: Uh, that was that's so true. And I've also heard that the one about like if so, it takes seven pieces of positive feedback to cancel out one piece of negative feedback. So,
1: so. that sounds about right. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. On
0: average, like, it's not like a, a strict rule, but like we just. I think it's because. Our brains and our bodies are hardwired to detect threat and things got that could hurt us so like we we're basically just here to stay alive and keep the human race going that's 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 basically it like, yeah or or, or
1: keep the human race going or not <laughs> like I mean yeah. there's no like I mean a, a species will eventually die out as well like so you know um it's yeah, whatever
0: <laughs> yeah but I, I mean like our genes like it's not like we consciously don't say that this is what we're here for but it's kind of like our bodily reactions are there to survive and to keep the re- keep the human race going basically yeah uh, because our genes want to, as richard dawkins would say our genes want to live on they just want to go into the next body children yeah. and then live forever they just want to keep live that's how they drive us they that that's all life is <laughs> in basically <some> <laughs> yeah
1: but uh, i i think over the last few years i've i've um tried to put myself more in this mindset of anything you think is going to make you happy isn't really you have to be happy with what you're doing at the moment and when I say happy I don't mean jumping around fucking with joy every walking moment of the day but I think you have to find contentment in every day or day-to-day stuff or else you'll never have even a semi-satisfied life as the article puts it you'll never even have semi-satisfaction if you're always just chasing something
0: yeah, you have to be able to sit in silence on a Thursday evening and say, "This is it." <laughs>
1: this is it, <laughs> and you, I'm do, happy with this. Do you know the um the Wire? You've watched the Wire,
0: yeah. I was yeah.
1: Um, and there is a scene in the in the first the uh, first season. You know that the the really like um. The really fucking stupid cop who ends up like pulling out a gun and he has like a dad in the force and he's like he's a fucking waster. So they end up putting him in the wiretap room and the the black guy, Lester, goes to him like one day he's getting really frustrated with all the wiretap stuff they have to set up and all the like infrastructure they have to put in place and they have to sit basically by the tape. And he's like getting really impatient. He's like, when is it going to be some fucking action? or when is this, you know, going to kick off? And Lester pulls him aside. He's like, this is the job. (laughs) he's like basically we're, we're, we're doing a wiretap and this is yeah. how you do a wiretap you sit here and pick your hole and you wait for a criminal potentially at some point over weeks and weeks and weeks to do something and if you're not happy with the fucking rest of it then, then, tough shit yeah and then when the, the action does come it's not going to make you happier yeah exactly <laughs> so you gotta get
0: happy just sitting there
1: Exactly yeah And Lester's really content He's making little Model fucking uh, Things for Dolls houses And all that type of stuff So um, But yeah It's it's a very good scene Another thing that, that, that reminds me of all this Or this reminds me of Is uh, I always quote Darren Brown here But he has a book Called Happiness Which I've read half of I didn't finish it But there's a really good Part in it um, Where he says You always take yourself With you on holidays So um, Like yeah. at the end At the end of the day You're always going to be yourself You can't escape that And If you think a milestone Is going to change things You know Think again, <laughs> yeah. Because and I, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, like, I probably said this before in the episode on the podcast, but like, if you think running away to Australia as well is going to change who you are,
0: <laughs> you've written a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not
1: because you're still you. It's at the end of the day, like,
0: yeah, definitely. And I think it all points to to finding contentment in the simple everyday parts of life and finding that inner peace within yourself. That's maybe it's not going to make you. Over the top happy, but it's going to make you like content and satisfied, and that maybe that's that's something we all need to work on. Right, to, you are to lecture people again.
1: Yes, so c- c- fucking a, an army of colonels in that one there.
0: <laughs> right, we've gone up nearly towards the hour mark.
1: So and we've gone up our own asses as well.
0: Yeah, several times we've gone up our asses, gone up each other's asses. We've come back down <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, with self-deprecating humor.
1: It's uh, uh, conscious,
0: right. self-deprecating humor. Narcissist. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> can you be self-deprecating if you deliberately try to be self-deprecating? Uh,
1: you probably can. I think it has to be deliberate, doesn't it? <laughs> Does it's hardly it de- in, in, involuntary.
0: <laughs> but isn't it like it, Like if you're subconsciously being modest and you, you kind of make fun of yourself. But what if you're deliberately saying, I want to make myself look oh. uh, modest? Anyway, this yeah. is going down a, a strange. But, uh,
1: yeah, that's kind of um I suppose it's insincere. Insincere insincere, insincere self-deprecation.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So watch out for that listener. Uh
1: <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about now. Uh right, this is um <laughs> this is actually I really enjoyed this episode. It's been qu- quite all over the place with the beauty of, the beauty of the original format if I can check checkin. Um
0: yeah, exactly.
1: We're going to finish up with a song of the week. Uh to me uh so can you let the listener know what that song is please
0: yeah uh just i suppose quickly because uh we're running out of time but this song of the week is by an artist called naz and he was very big in the early 1990s um and the mid 90s uh, and and, uh, he's in his mid 40s now and it's just really satisfying to see an artist come back and produce a really high quality album after a few years kind of not producing that high quality stuff and uh this song is called ultra black and it's a it's really a song that's topical at the moment because it's it's really emphasizing the positive parts of black culture and a a positive message and the stimulating pride about being black which i think is really really nice message this time but i really like the way that naz plays with the chorus and the verse format like Normally, there's a 16-bar verse and then an 8-bar yeah. chorus. It's almost like he's doing the verse, or sorry, the chorus all the way through the song in different ways. Like he's just, you can tell that he's just playing with it so nicely. And I think that's really refreshing to see from a veteran artist. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's like the word black is almost the chorus, and he just plays with it in as many ways he possibly can. Um, and t- t- different turns of phrase right throughout the song.
0: Yeah, and he says it in the same way, like ultra black, <laughs> like it's the same like kind of flow throughout the song.
1: Um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, it's like it's just like doubling down on being black and being proud, and there's a very strong message in that.
0: Yeah, I really like it, and it it uh, it's like a callback to his previous song. Uh, I I can I know I can be what I wanna be. That was oh, I know a big that song, song actually. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of song again in the late nineteen nineties. Um, so I think it's really uplifting. He doesn't like; it's just completely about being black without bringing in the the kind of hate of Donald Trump era America and stuff. So it's it's really good. Yeah,
1: and he, he doesn't specifically mention anything that was in the news or doesn't specifically mention politics, but he alludes to all all of it, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, right you are. We're going to play you out on that song. Thank you for joining us on the feck and Check In. I've been Trainer. Any final words for the listener to me? Check off.
2: We go in. We go in. My pants poster said We go in ultra. We going ultra black. I got a toast to that. We don't fold the crack. We going. occasion we rose to that. Fuck on postal. We going ultra black. Watching the global change. Hopping the coldest range. Hip boy on the beat. This shit. poster slap. We going ultra black. We going. We going. We going. Uh, Rhythm and blues Pop rock Soul to jazz Till my toes attack uh, How I look being told I'm not supposed to brag Nobody fought I tell the truth I know what's facts We ultra black Grace Jones Skin tone But multi that Multiple colors We coming all shades Mocha black except where I'm at And not fight me on it uh, Emotional stares Like I might be wanted Pitch black Like the night I'm ultra black Sand for the sun Reruns Jokes are black Oh yes Oh yes God bless success We going ultra black Like the S is fast with a mask on The freshest breath African black soap Caress the flesh Superfly the Mac Sitting fly in the lap Take the boat on the water History talks with my daughter My son will be my resurrection Constantly learning lessons I never die You get the message I hope you be better than I Life's precious Two steppin' is- Sometimes I'm over black, even my clothes are black Cash money with the white tee and the soldier rag We goin' ultra black, unapologetically black The opposite of Doja Cat, Michael Black's in black We goin' ultra black, I got to toast to that We don't fold the crack Occasion we rose to that, fuck on postal We goin' ultra black, watching the global change Hop in the coldest range, hit boy on the beat This shit poster the slack, we goin' ultra black We goin', we goin', we goin' We go in ultra black Raiders Oakland hat, I smoke to that pre rosen and Yak, what's the results to that? See notes in bags, she knows I'm classy like I'm Billy D. Williams Go ultra black Isaac Kennedy film, penitentiary too Black like out in the loop, black don't crack, it's like the fountain of youth The culture's black, like Iman she beautiful, going ultra black To Africa you say go back, I stay pro black, my Amex black Black like Conroe's, Afro's Black like hat, Black Ball from the Super Bowl Collin, Hollin' I can't go for that Motown Museum Detroit, I'm ultra black This for New York and all the map Matt. No matter your race, to me we all are black we goin' ultra black, I got a toast to that We don't fold the crack, crack. Occasion we rose to that, fuck on postal We goin' ultra black, watching the global change Hop in the coldest range Hip boy on the beat, this shit poster slap We goin' ultra black Black is beautiful Black is beautiful We're no, the no, no.